Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Jason. And I'm Blake. And we're doing our first foreign language film. Yeah, super exciting. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're doing the 1962 classic film Harakiri, or Seppuku, as it's known in Japan. Both um, are. So I, I already have like a little difference there. Uh, seppuku is like the like the the proper way to say it but harikiri is the like the foul way to say it kind of yeah let's get into the plot i think is the best place to start this is an interesting one to talk about because i don't want to spoil this for anyone who's kind of interested in watching this because the movie itself has a really good trajectory um it's a slow burner its themes are really interesting, and yeah. I think we're gonna have a really great conversation around them. But I don't want to build the yeah. build up is so worth it. Yeah, exactly. And and with a film of that nature, it's it's a little bit trickier to dance around things. Yeah, and this is rated so high. It's number forty seven uh, in IMDb's top two hundred and fifty movies of all time. Yeah, and like just looking at the the ratings. Critic and viewers, like it's yeah. it's rated very high, yeah. In, like in, across the board, basically. Yeah, it, it's a well written story, and it plays out extraordinarily well as well. But let's dive into it. Yeah. So this is uh, Kobayashi's nineteen sixty two film Harikiri. After the breakup of his own of sorry, after the breakup of his warrior clan in seventeenth century peacetime in Japan, Hanshiro. Tsugomo, a ronin, goes to the house of a feudal lord to perform his last honorable option, Harikiri. He recounts the fall of his house, the disgrace he suffered after becoming ronin, and revealing the reasons he must perform this ritual. And on that note as well, like you've already touched on some words there that might be foreign yeah. to some of our viewers. So, a samurai during the feudal period of feudal. Japan. Feudal? Yeah. Feudal. Uh, all right. We're going to back up for a sec here. I am horrible at pronunciations, yeah, yeah. so I apologize <laughs> in advance for every pronoun- mispronunciation that I have during <laughs> any foreign film that we ever do. I I really am trying my best here. I can barely speak like or pronounce Normally. English words, yeah. <laughs> um, let alone other words from other countries. I'm, not, I'm, I, again, I'm a stickler for it all. So yeah, yeah, and I'm really sorry. I am, yeah. I'm truly sorry if I butcher anything in this episode, um, but... Yeah, so, so a couple of terms. Um, so obviously there's a samurai in feudal Japan. Just a step down from nobility, really. Like yeah. they were like the knights. Um, yeah, like where, the honorable warriors yeah. of the elite, I guess. Yeah, so if you think of it as like a pyramid, um, you had the whole elites, the nobility at the top, and then you had their samurai right below them. And after that was really more of the common people at that mm-hmm. point. So... The samurai were held with a lot of regard. They were paid extraordinarily well. They had really good lives. However, there are situations in which things become a little complicated for you as a samurai. For example, if your nobleman were to pass away, or without a successor, or if they got if they get taken out by another clan or exactly. something. Yeah. Yeah, and so at that point, you have no employer at that point, and what happens is you become a ronin, which is like a wandering samurai, essentially, looking for work. And 
and something that we'll see in this film, like as you said, this this samurai, uh, this our main character has been struggling to live in this period of relative peace. And the reason for that is because the caste system doesn't allow for a lot of wiggle room in what your job is. So if you're a samurai and you're no longer able to be employed as a samurai, you can't take on other work and other people won't let you take on other work because it's dishonorable for you. Honor is something that's extraordinarily important in Japanese culture. And this was really the extremes of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like we see one Ronin try to work a construction job and he's like no you cannot work this job yeah because it also reflects badly on the guy who is employing him as well yeah yeah. so during this time of peace that's really hard because the need for samurai is a lot less than at times of war no other clan is also going to take you in because they still have all of theirs and it's peacetime exactly so something to paint at the end of your plot summary there, and we're gonna I'm gonna briefly touch on some plot points right now as well to kind of get you into the idea of where the story is going. So our, our main character, Tsugumo. Um, Hanshiro Tsugumo. Yeah, it's a cool name. I like how they introduced him just to start off because his like he explains like his last name in Japanese characters. Tsugumo means harbor and cloud. Hmm. So I thought, I wrote that down, I thought that was going to come back into, like, I thought that was, like, leading up to something. It might be important to some of the plot points, but I didn't... I didn't see how it correlated or anything, it was just his name. Yeah. So he goes to the the Lai clan to commit seppuku, because you have to do it within, like, a palace courtyard, or, like, there's a whole ritual behind this type of suicide. He's actually, they try to persuade him against it because during this time of peace, uh, with all these samurai out of work and poor and desolate, they've somebody, there's a, there's a legend almost of someone who went to one of the homes and said, I'm, I have nothing left. I'm completely ready to go. Like I'm, I want a permission to commit seppuku here. Hard to curious. We'll continue with that. Seppuku is the more traditional one, so I'm sticking with that. But this movie is Harikiri. That's the Americanized version. No, I dove deep. Yeah, it is. It was. It was Seppuku was the uh, the main title in Japan. Yeah, in the main title. Oh. Or whatever, whatever. <laughs> uh, both anyway, both are interchangeable. Continue. Agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So yeah. So there's this legend of this Ronin who went to a clan to commit uh, Seppuku. And they were so completely blown away by his character and the his resolve and the honor that he had in doing this that they actually brought him in and and paid him and gave him a and, job. Yeah, and gave him a job. So there's these stories going around now of other Ronin trying the same thing, and it and it's putting these other clans in this situation where they don't necessarily want them to commit suicide, yeah. but they also don't want to bring them into their house. So they've been paying them out and giving them those payouts. Yeah. But the Lie Clan doesn't want anything to do with that. They don't want to give a handout. So they don't want to have this uh, situation where somebody takes something from them and suddenly they've got all these different Ronin passing through yeah, their door. Especially with, like, yeah, they don't want someone to come in pretending to be honorable mm-hmm. just to take their money in favor, whatever. Exactly. So they find that like repulsive almost. Yeah. So when Hanshiro 
comes to commit suicide, they try to convince him of why he shouldn't and tell him the story of the previous Ronin who came to commit seppuku at their palace to try to dissuade him. And so that's where the plot really starts moving along is we, it, there's this back and forth of the stories of how our first Ronin he, got here or how the first Ronin came to the Lai clan ended up and then this Ronin here and whether or not he's going to continue on this path. Yeah. And then he explains his story in more detail about why he has come to be at the Lai clan. Yeah. So they, he shows up to this clan they start this conversation and that's where the first act of this movie is really focused. Yeah. Where it's them trying to dissuade him based off the story and also to see like, are you also here just to try to fake honor Yeah. for some kind of uh, payment or like something to improve your life and to take from us? Mm -hmm. Or are you here because of true honor? Mm -hmm. So that, that there's this back and forth and, uh, yeah, the, the way they set it up, the conversations, like the back and forth is what really builds tension. Yeah, and just doing reading the subtitles for a Force Warren film, the there's almost a poeticism to mm. even the dub, or not the dub, but the conversion to English, like the English yeah. subtitles. Like I was really hooked on the conversations that they yeah. were having. Like yeah. it, it really it really moved things along really well and it captivated me. Which and is is obviously that's going to be something that's tricky that some people are going to have a hard time with is reading subtitles in another language. But I really I really have come to appreciate that, especially over the last few years. Yeah, like subtitles are a must, and this like they did it so well. I think the language that they use is just so poetic in the descriptions, like the the storytelling. Mm -hmm between the two characters their conversations and then they also have like flashbacks to the stories that they're telling so that brings you in and gets you like to a certain point where suddenly you're just so involved in the story like you're like hanging on every word yeah, yeah exactly they do it well yeah extraordinarily well and that's something we'll get into i think a little bit oh later. and this is black and white that's yes, another thing that is this so, is also our first black and white yeah. film it doesn't detract no. from it. It it really they use the shadows and the the yes, filming. Yes, all of that's extraordinarily important to the filming yeah. and the ambiance of the film. Like a lot of shots with the black and white are shot very intentionally, yeah. and it's very intentionally used and because, intensely. Like, yeah, it, it really ramps up the intensity because yes. it's like it's like they're stripping away. Anything that would be distracting from the conversation between the two. Yes. Yeah, and, I agree. Yeah. Because at first I was thinking, that was actually one of my original notes, is I wonder what this would look like if somebody decided to do like a full coloration of the film. Mm -hmm. Because I think there would be some beautiful colors in the film. But yeah. I think you're right that, that having those different shades and the different hues of the black and white and how yeah. it's used is very important to the filming and adding to the atmosphere yeah. um, and, and your perspective of everything going on. Yeah, it, it builds that contrast. And I think contrast yeah. is a big theme in this. Yes. And we'll look into themes a little bit farther as well, like quite a bit farther, because that, that's what the, like the meat and potatoes of this 
film is really yeah and that's what we were saying before that this film is a little hard to talk about and dance around um some of the main plot points it because there's a lot of really interesting twists and turns that yeah, the plot it's, takes it's the storytelling that like you don't really know for sure like it's some things are hinted but yeah yeah it's that build up they build it up just perfectly like little bit by little bit and then you're fully invested yeah and even like if as you come to realize certain aspects of the film like there's always seems to be just that that one extra piece that suddenly makes the puzzle like seem like everything's together but then there's another piece that like just adds to the puzzle and enhances it yeah and it really like you expect one thing and then it's different in such a like a subtle way but an impactful way yeah in the thing i'm thinking of we learn pretty quickly that everything's not as it seems so um, we can't talk too much about that directly with like the plot yeah this one's gonna be a hard one to talk about we're gonna have to like skip right to spoilers pretty quick I guess. yeah i think so and we've kind of started talking about characters and people you may know so let's dive a little bit more into that um, so our, our main character, Henshiro Sugumo, is the main character at the beginning who goes to commit seppuku and is given the tale of the last person to do so. He's played by Tatsuya Nakadai. He's in another, a, a few other important Japanese films. However, he said that this was his favorite movie to appear in in all 100 movies that he did. Oh, um, wow. This one was very important to him. And interesting enough, he's kind of almost got like a Harrison Ford kind of story about how he was discovered. He was actually discovered by Kobe, Kobayashi himself while working in a Tokyo shop. It's so interesting, like, because he has such a, like, he has a pretty good history in film. Like, yes. he's 100 films. And that this is his favorite, that's pretty cool. And I think uh, it comes down to like reducing everything to just story and mm-hmm. it allows him to really portray the emotion. It allowed him to act like the most purely, I think. Yeah, like when he gets there and he's saying like, I want to commit seppuku, like you really believed him. Like he looked like somebody who was, who's completely devastated, who was just done yeah like he was just completely done with everything you see it in his eyes like he's he's completely like ruined he's got that thousand thousand yard stare yeah Yeah. so moving along to our other characters uh matame chi chigigawa oh god i'm so sorry (laughs) yeah matame shigawa uh is our first samurai who went to the lai clan to commit seppuku and who the tale is about yeah that is who the first part to... of the the recount of the story is about yeah. that act one and he's played by akira ishama man i should get you pronouncing these oh probably <laughs> our next other important character is seito kageyo uh he's the senior counselor of the lai clan so he's the one who first meets with hanshiro and previously matame who tells Henshiro of the tale of Matame and tries to dissuade him from pursuing yeah. the seppuku any further uh, at the Lai clan. He's played by Rentaro Mikuni. 
And our last character that I want to touch on, who doesn't necessarily play a role in part one of the film, but is important later on to Hanshiro's telling of the story, is Miho Sagumo. So she's Hanshiro's daughter. Uh, like I said, very important role in the story, but not something that we can talk about with get out, getting into spoilers. Yeah. And she's played by Sh- Shima I- Iwashita. So that's really the main characters. There's some other important uh, samurai that... I think we'll get into more of the plot. In terms of director, this is Masaki Kobayashi. Kobayashi being an extraordinarily important filmmaker in Japanese history, uh, especially in the 50s and 60s in that post-war era. Also very famously released uh, the film Samurai Rebellion and Kadon, which is a horror anthology movie which i really want to watch sometime yeah, th- now i want to watch so many more of his after yes. seeing like everything he's done so uh, he was a soldier in world war Two, and he's always so this movie as we get into it is a little bit of a counter culture kind of movie to japanese culture yeah. uh back in the the feudal system but also in the mo- more modern 50s and 60s japan in that post-war era so like you were going to probably say with the military stuff, yeah, yeah. he's always been counter to culture. So yeah, go ahead. So yeah, he's very counter uh, militants and the military culture of Japan during the war and then after and like the the reverence they have for those kind of like war heroes yeah. and samurai and everything. It, it, it He was trying to say like there is a limit to honor and there's a negative to it. And well, there's it, hypocrisy you involved yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the interesting enough with his military career, he never advanced past his initial ranking in the military because he always turned it down because he was a pacifist and didn't want to get any more involved in the military than he had to. Mm. So he never he never accepted any sort of promotion. Wow. And that was his kind of stand against the Japanese military and their involvement in World War II. Um, the other film that's extremely important to film history is The Human Condition, which is a nine and a half hour film. And yeah. I said that correctly, nine yeah. and a half hour film. It's split into three parts, so you can watch it as a trilogy, so you don't have to watch it all at once. However, from what I read online, it's it's something that you do almost have to watch your first time all in yeah. one go. Yeah, like I've seen people say like, oh, I really liked number two. Mm-hmm. But then other people are like, what are you talking about number two? There's only one and it's nine hours long. Yeah, yeah. This is, that's an extremely important film. And it's one of the longest films ever made as well. We have to do that on the podcast sometime. Oh, I, I really want to watch it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who is this movie for? This is a really slow burner, and it's got a lot of twists and turns. It's very intriguing. I think if you're into that, if you're interested in a plot that doesn't have to go to breakneck speed, this is such an opposite to Heat, like uh, our last film that we watched. Because it was constantly on, and this is like slow like yeah it, it's, it's the build that is important and the storytelling yeah and it's not the samurai film that you and i were expecting mm-hmm. um because we were expecting probably uh, i was expecting a high action drama that moved at a at a very quick pace but this yeah. it, it takes a while to build that tension like you said um and the payoff for it at the end is really good but it's some—it's not your traditional what you expect for yeah. a film about warriors. There's one scene where he Hanshiro is pulling back a bow, 
mm-hmm. and that's what I would compare it to because he pulls it back so slowly right. and then release, and like that's what this reminds me of. Yeah, that big release at the end, yeah, right? Because it's like pretty quick ish, like compared to the rest. Like it's a slow pull and then it shoots you forward. Right. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I wrote down originally that it feels like this was adapted from a book and that's because it is. Uh, I couldn't find a lot of information online. That's just because I'm Googling from a Western uh, audience. This book's obviously quite a bit older at this point. It's not something that's necessarily made its way over to Western audiences like the movie has. Yeah. And Uh, yeah, like I was looking into Bamboo Ronin, which we haven't discussed yet, but mm-hmm. like, even that, I can't find a story about that that isn't linked directly to this movie. So exactly. like, I was curious if there was more fr- in the book, but couldn't find too much on it. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to say about the action is when when the action kind of starts in that latter half of the film, there's so much weight to it. Uh, yeah. That, like, it makes all of it so much more important than if it was throughout the movie. Like if this was a a pure action movie. Yeah. Cause you know, it's coming the whole time. It's like, yeah. Like the bow is pulled who this is for. It's not for action buffs. No, I would say, I would say as well, like this isn't going to, you're not going to walk into this expecting like a crazy samurai warrior film. Like this is more about the samurai code and the samurai honor. Um, and so if you're really interested in like Japanese history and, and those ideologies, this is a really interesting film, especially because it doesn't necessarily, and it it definitely does not agree with uh, all of the points. It's not idolizing samurai. No. So if, like if anyone knows like a friend who's like like I want to be a samurai like they're like really into that culture and stuff and they think it's so cool maybe have them watch this because it balances it out yeah from like a western perspective we only see Ronin as or sorry samurai as like these like awesome action heroes kind of yeah but to see like the depth I think that it it is in some movies that I've seen about samurai, like the depth of their honor and everything like that, but this goes at it in a different way. And again, this has to be a film for people who love stories. Yes. Anyone who can like read like a full like series of books because the story is just so engaging. I think that's like, it can't be for someone who doesn't appreciate the storytelling yeah that's something that i actually wrote down while i was watching i was like i would love to read a book of this and again i didn't know until rather recently that it was based on a book but Mm. it just the way it tells its story and everything plays out it's it's just extraordinarily well written yeah and it is one of the highest ranked samurai films of all time despite it not being that traditional what you and i would expect a samurai movie to be in about yeah, I was expecting something different, and I was very pleasantly surprised. Yes. So this isn't a movie for everyone, I would say. Like, no. I think I think we've kind of explained where we found the film to be interesting. If um, you're, like, a budding film enthusiast who's just getting, like, who's really into reaching out and learning about different, yes. like, films, this is definitely, again, for film buffs. Yeah, and I will, I'm actually really excited to talk about some of the effects and filming for the movie as well, because there's a lot of instra- interesting things that you can take from that that you don't see necessarily in Western films as much, mm. but when someone like Quentin Tarantino uses uh, yeah, some of the camera angles technique, and stuff yeah. like that, that it's it's 
it blows your mind. It's like, why yeah. isn't this being used more? Like, yeah. like a, an, a director like that who can pull from different genres yeah. and different cultures I've and s- that, mash them in. Yeah, I have like a note that was like, this is so like something that he used. Like, I've seen this mm-hmm. zoom in or this angle, yes. this shot before. Yeah, exactly. And there, there's a lot of really cool. So if you're a big film junkie, this is absolutely going to yeah. be for you. Yeah, if you're not, you might still enjoy it. Like, it's I a don't good think, drama period yeah, piece. A- Annabelle, I don't think would be able to enjoy this. Yeah, it, I guess it kind of depends. Like, if you're a big history buff, this is kind of cool. Like, this is 16th yeah. se- or 17th century Japan. It's not something that you see in every movie. Yeah. Like, there's something special about that. Yeah, there's something yeah. special about seeing something that isn't being rehashed over and over again necessarily yeah. for our audiences. I think Annabelle would have fallen asleep before the first act was out <laughs> yeah i didn't watch this with jess either yeah. because she wasn't gonna be interested in that i guess that kind of does speak to the audience that yeah. you need to have for this in terms of when to watch i thought this was a great sunday afternoon movie so that's when i watched it yeah. and it was pretty good <laughs> yeah i could see that uh i had some troubles watching this yeah um so by the time i watched it it was uh thursday night so that didn't doesn't help too much but Honestly, I watched this in parts, which kind of sucked, but it made me keep like wondering and thinking about it throughout the day Mm. until I was like, I have to finish this. It's so good. I knew what was going on and that there was going to be this big payoff because like just the storytelling in the first bit, I was like, like, what is it? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I would definitely watch this on a Sunday afternoon or like, yeah. Yeah. Like a rainy Sunday afternoon movie. So where to watch? Right now, it's streaming on the Criterion channel, which you do need a subscription for. So I, I hadn't heard of the Criterion channel before this, but basically... It's kind of interesting. Yeah, they're kind of interesting. They, they're dedicated to a uh, mission statement or vision or whatever is to dedicate to publishing important classic and contemporary films from around the world. So they actually will restore old films as well mm. and then re- re-release them on their channel. So it's it's kind of interesting. Again, it's it's for those movie buffs who are looking yeah, for yeah. maybe something outside of the Western audiences as well because I believe uh, The Human Condition, that nine and a half hour film, is also on the Criterion mm. channel. So again, we found this through Just Watch. I don't know why I'm plugging that because we still don't have any we just, sort of connection to that. We just like it. Like, yeah, it's really. I like. I've Annabelle just goes there when we're like, oh, have you seen this movie? Let's see where it is. Instead of going through each yeah um streaming platform and like typing it in or something or searching, yeah, and we'll just find new movies to watch there based mm. off of what we actually have subscriptions to. Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, you had a much more different uh, experience with the Criterion channel because I actually, I really enjoyed it. It worked well with me. I would like to try it again because I don't know if it was just my internet at the time Mm -hmm. or what. It just wasn't loading for me. Yeah. Yeah. And the Criterion channel also has a two-week free subscription, so you can always give it a try. And if you really like it, then you can dive into more of their catalog. Yeah. But that, that's it for where it's streaming right now. You can pay for it on Apple TV as well for Mm -hmm. $4.99. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, other than that, you know your options. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good spot to cut it off for the spoiler-free bits. Uh, this movie is really hard to talk about without spoilers. So I think the movie buffs who are listening to this are going to be really interested in it. And this is where I would say, you know, take that pause, go check this movie out, and come back to us later. But 
if it's this isn't for you, like maybe you stick around for a little while and hear about some of the themes and, and some of the more of the plot details. And maybe something catches your your eye that you want to listen to or view a little bit more. Yeah, I think we've got yeah quite a bit to talk about. Yeah. Uh, like, it's an interesting film. Yes, it is. All right, so we are getting into spoiler talk. It was all a dream. The whole film was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That would have been great. No. <laughs> No, like, it could have went there, I guess, but like, yeah, it didn't go there, which I'm glad for, actually. Yeah. So, themes, there's a lot of great stuff to talk about, and we are going to dive right into the spoiler-heavy bits, I think. So, let's start with this, in part, being a classic tale of revenge. Oh, yeah. You didn't expect that right away, but like, it, first you hear this story of the... Ronin, who showed up a few months before Hanshiro, mm-hmm. and then um, Hanshiro is like, no, I don't know him. He's from the same clan as us, but we had twelve thousand retainers. Yeah, that also that were under like our house clan. Yeah, so at that point you're like, okay, like yeah, maybe they're not connected. Yeah, um, yeah. And, but then as the story goes on, we hear about how horrible Matome's Ma- experience was with the Lai clan. Matome. Uh, the poor guy, man. He oh, went through yeah. the like the ringer. Yeah, seppuku itself is a very painful way to die, from oh, what yeah. I've read. And what happened was, he shows up there. He obviously was looking for the payout, and the Lie Clan like kind of sensed that and yeah. said, "You know what? We're gonna make him go through with it because then everybody else is gonna hear about this and not come and to us." Yeah, like we don't have to deal with the Ronin if this story, like if the story of how we dealt with it, we force him to commit. Seppuku. Yeah, yeah, we we like we said, okay, you're gonna be honorable. That's what we're gonna how we're gonna deal with this. But then, like as things go on and as as they find out more and more about Maname, the fact that he has a bamboo samurai sword instead of a regular one. And at that point, I was like, either he never really was a samurai, mm-hmm. or what we find out is that he sunk to such lows. That he had to sell his real samurai sword and short sword yeah. to um, keep living. And he had to obviously replace that with a bamboo. They're like practice swords, basically. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's like a very dishonorable thing to do yeah. is selling your swords. Like those are some of the that's, most important aspects yeah. of your life. Uh, your soul is in your sword when you become a samurai. Like, they're connected. Yeah. And so, they force him to go through a seppuku using these non-existent, like, blade edges. They're they're so impossibly they're dull. dull. Yeah, yeah. And seppuku, again, it's the cutting of your guts open. And what I read into that, actually, because I, I thought there might be, like, some reason why that's a, a thing. And in Eastern cultures... Japan so specifically, your soul was thought to be in your stomach. So mm. cutting it open is the release of your soul. Right, yeah. Showing that you are willing to do that mm-hmm. is what gets your honor back. So a lot of uh, seppukus were like because the person was either like beaten in battle or embarrassed their house or they... Yeah, dishonored like, Dishonored, in some in, way. yeah. And honor is very important and honor carries over beyond even your death and it impacts your family and stuff like that so this this final act to bring restore honor to your yourself and your family is very important in japanese culture 
they're completely like disbelief that that he would sell his sword and have these bamboo swords he's he's asking them to give him some extra time give him a day or two to put his his house in order before yeah. he comes and commits seppuku at this point in time we don't know if he's actually just trying to skip town or, yeah, or yeah. what and they're, at that point they're even more like insistent. furious with him yeah, yeah that he that he's again dishonoring himself and dishonoring the samurai code yeah and in, in all of these steps that he's taken so they force him to do it in the court or in courtyard. The, the courtyard and that dull blade like it's oh my god is that one of the most intense scenes yeah. of the films or not like he like it took a few tries to even like stab it into his stomach. Yeah. And then he had to lean all his weight onto the bamboo blade at, just oh. to get it far enough in. Oh, and then, and so the thing is, is like you were saying before, they have a, what's called the second there to basically cut your head off and, and just finalize the act and, and let you die. But the samurai there, they were almost like taunting him because yeah. they knew that he wasn't going to be able to really do it. And they were like, I'm not going to kill you until you've cut Sliced. through yourself enough. Yeah. And he can't because of how dull it is. Yeah. Oh my God. It's, it, and that's then, a really hard watch. Yeah. And then part. like... I almost missed it, but they, um, like, if you disembowel yourself like that, often you'll, like, spit up blood. Um, and so he kind of, like, he, like, tried to force it across, but it wasn't really going, so he did as much as he could, and then he bit his tongue, yes. like, really hard. So that He it, bit his, his tongue off. Yeah, yeah, so that it, it looked like he was bleeding from completing the act. Right. And then, uh... Then they eventually did cut his head off. Yeah. So again, he dishonored himself by cutting his tongue off. Yeah. Uh, and so the the Lie Clan at this point is is completely like gutless. Yeah. And uh, well, that's kind of funny to call him gutless. <laughs> One of those in, in unintentional puns. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So so where all the reason why all this is important to Hanshiro Hanshiro's story is that he's actually Matame's father-in-law. Uh, mm-hmm. Because Matame was is married to his daughter, but it's also there's so much more backstory about their lives that I don't think we necessarily need to get into. I think that's important to the watch. Yeah. But they they're his live Hanshiro Matame and Miho's story intertwined from like young kids. Like he was very close with his family, and the Matame and Miho grew up and like fell in love with each other and all of yeah. this stuff. So when when Matame was horribly killed in this manner and uh Henshiro hears about this like the guy's upset he's and he's furious with the way that his son-in-law was treated yeah. in all of in every step of the way really as well so and like up until that point he was maintaining his honor he was he's such a honorable like he's an older as a samurai and then it, like 10 years or like 9 years of being a ronin mm-hmm. he never lost his own honor really like he didn't he didn't sell his sword he didn't he didn't yeah like he did everything he could to just exist and be happy and continue with life Mm -hmm. but life just beat him and his family down because him like he was living with his daughter and then he had motome marry his daughter to maintain her dignity as well Well, and they were in love with each other, too, and he had recognized that at that point as well, and he wanted to keep them together yeah, rather than marry her off because he was kind of told, like, you know, your your daughter's very attractive. She could probably get married off to somebody with wealth. Who then you could work for and, and, like, have a better life. 
Yeah, and that's where the challenge of the honor system in the samurai and in Japan comes into play. And that's probably the most central theme of the the movie itself is the hypocrisy in it. That while it's like rules for thee, not for me, essentially. Yeah, yeah. That this honor system where they make him commit seppuku doesn't always apply to everyone equally if you've been disordered because you know we could shrug it off for the people that we know and we care about yeah and that's really important because that's what hanshiro spends the entire film doing is pointing out the hypocrisy to the lie clan yeah themselves and what they've done and what they're doing yeah and so that whole reveal of motome as hanshiro's Mm son-in-law was pretty big like it oh absolutely. we we went through in the first act the story of this bamboo ronin as he became known mm-hmm. um and hanshiro is like no i didn't know him and like didn't like he let the story go on and then they're like okay then we'll let you commit uh seppuku here mm-hmm. after he showed his resolve that he was still going to go through with it right and you could see in his eyes, like he came there to die. Yeah. But then the second act kind of comes in and, and we, we learned about more about his backstory and like how he got there and like hearing yeah. oh, about and that, how Matame died, like yeah. how I was killed. Yeah. And, and, and having to re listen to that story yeah. by the likely because he didn't know all the details at that point either. Not all of them. Yeah. He had heard stories of course. Yeah. Yeah. So he takes his revenge on the whole Lie Clan, but then specifically the people who wronged Moname. Yes, exactly. So uh, after they he got through the Matome, is how I pronounce it, Matome story, he he asked for his second to be one of three specific people. Yeah, he said one, and then they were like, he's not here, he's ill. And then another one, he's not here, he's ill. And then the third one, they're like, he's not here, he's ill. And at that point, it clicks on the Lee cl- the Lie Clan that something's amiss here. Yeah. Because he's specifically, A, he specifically requested three people, and all three of those people are, are not present yeah. at the ceremony. And those three are supposed to be like their top swords masters. Yes. So... The fact that none of them would show up for him, like it's like why why is why are they all off sick when this guy's here? Yeah. And why is he requesting them? So that's where things start to get really connected. And that's where yeah, like it that's where it starts to really ramp up. Yeah. And and there there's a lot of discussion at the clan itself, like what is he doing? Like we know that he's up to something because yeah. this is very strange, all yeah. of this happening and coinciding with these three people and saying that they're ill. Yeah. And they're still like they're still angry at the Ronin that are putting this on their house. Because mm-hmm. they're like they were forced to do that to him and I, I think the story worked. No like other Ronin weren't showing up anymore because right. they knew. So then why did this one guy show up? Yeah, and so that's all of that's really interesting, and as we find out, the reason why they've all decided to shy away from this is because Henshiro's had his revenge on each of yeah. them by chat like fighting them and cutting off their hair, their top knot. Yeah, which is very important to Japanese culture. Like that is essentially that's like that's like the samurai's honor. Yeah, is shown by like like you're supposed to not cut off any hair from your head like. It, to keep in this top knot yeah and so cutting it cutting each of them off 
destroyed their honor and made yeah. them dishonorable. And that's why they're off sick. Yeah, like, and, they, and they and, should have been committing seppuku because yeah, that's a yeah. fate worse than death at that point. They yes. needed to redeem their honor. And instead, they're hiding because they're yeah. waiting for their hair to grow back. Yeah, though. yeah. And so, so after that reveal, I was like, oh, that's why uh, Hanshiro didn't allow them to give him clothes yes because he had them in his yeah, robe he yeah. threw all three of them out he th- so yeah that was the, that was so like he was so boss moment. yeah yeah so he threw out two of them he's like i wrote their name on them so you can identify which is which yeah and then um he didn't have the other one so he recounts the first two stories of how he enacted his revenge yeah. on the first two like lower swordsmen. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, he goes into a story about how difficult it was because this third swordsmaster who is like from like a school of like well renowned swords people. Yeah. So it's the best of the Lie clan. We go into that story and it's this amazing scenery where yeah where um, they he like accepts the challenge and yeah they go out and like fight in the middle of like these fields and, on and hills. the the level of preparation that hanshiro had because he knew after killing or sorry after uh taking off the two top knots of the other two mm-hmm. that this third guy was gonna know who it was yeah and so he waited for him to find him at yes. his house and he was sitting in one very specific place in his house and his sword was far enough away because he knew he was never going to be able to surprise this swordsmaster. So he had him come find him, like him. The swordsmaster sees, like, he's like, I should cut you down right now, but this crossbeam in your house is too high for me to strike at this angle. Yeah. There's that uh, beam there that means I can't, like, slide in from the side. He's like, we have to go somewhere and have like a proper duel. Mm-hmm. And he picks the place and they go there. And it's this like windswept. It's like outside of a, a graveyard, I think, in yeah. a field yes, it is. in the hills. Yeah. And it's like and this all in black and white. And the, the wind is just so like crazy. This that was like a phenomenal like the build up to that scene. And then yeah. like it was like it was like final boss kind yeah, of like yeah. feelings. The fact that he bests like the top guy or the allegedly top guy both like breaks his sword and then cuts yes. off his hair like that, like like that was like a very big and important yeah. moment because it also shows that the samurai themselves have kind of let themselves go a little bit. Yeah, and so in that scene, Hanshiro breaks the sword of the this top samurai. I thought he was going to kill him. I thought it was going to be too hard to take his top knot without killing him. Mm-hmm. But And he says that, like, Hanshiro is like, because of how good he was, it would have been very hard to cut off his head. And then he's like, but it would be even harder and, like, more honorable implying to cut off just his top knot. Right. And eventually he does. And then after he tells the story, he throws out the top the third knot. One. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, um, he said something about how he is the top swords master at this lie clan, but he had never seen a real battle. And he's yeah. like, I, I was at the battle of the sacking of this castle. The final battle. Like of one like of the, the big... last before the peacetime. Yeah. And um, he's just like, you guys are just, you practice, but have no experience. And that's part of what he's doing with this tale that he's telling. He's, is just... he's telling it to all of the, um, it's it, like they're subcontractors basically, but I can't remember what the exact word retainer is. retainers. Yes. Yes. So they're retainers for the lie clan. So that means like they're the hired samurai for 
like the, the Lie Clan. Yeah, and they're, so he's they're pointing- not. Yeah, they're, he's. He's not telling the story exactly for the people who committed no. these decisions, the decision makers, like the general and the counselor and all of the like top Ronin. It's he's trying to get this story out to say, look at what your leaders have done. Is it honorable? Yeah. And uh, can look, you can you stand this dishonor? Exactly. And this hypocrisy. And this film does such a good job. Like as someone who doesn't like, I I've watched a couple of animes here and there, but like I don't know the Japanese culture inside and out. Like this was something really special, and I think that I I think that Kobayashi did a really great job of telling his story and showing like like the themes and like presenting them in a way that's really straightforward and easy to understand by the end like you really know what this movie is trying to convey yeah yeah. this is this contrast to like soylent green i would say like yes uh soylent green does a lot of telling but it doesn't really do the showing like i i understood what they meant but i didn't care in the same way that i cared about this movie like i really cared about what kobayashi was trying to convey with this film and like the idea of honor system not being the the perfect system and you shouldn't idealize the the yeah. feudal system like, in Japan. At, it's like asking at what point does following a, like a super strict code like this interfere with human decency? Yeah, exactly. Like, and there and is, is a point. everybody held to the same standard? Yeah. And yeah. that's obvious that it's not. Like yeah. it it's held to the same standard until you don't want it to, and then you just let it pass. But it it doesn't matter for everybody. Like yeah, and like you really see like this honor system, like it, it it kept this clan within itself and separated from the rest of the like humanity, mm-hmm. and just they got so callous about human life. Yeah, like it didn't matter, even though they like most of them weren't in real battle. Maybe especially because of that, because they were they were following this code. And they they believed they were upholding it by doing what they did to Matome, and they'd lost like the idea of humanity. Mm-hmm. And there's some fantastic articles out about this movie and all of this this challenging of this system. Like mm-hmm. one that I read, and I'm gonna I want to actually dive into this a little bit more is that the people who are in power who are at the top will always choose, or not will always, but will choose self-preservation over like their code and their ideology, but they'll still impose it on other people. Yeah. And that's, that's such an interesting concept to think about. And like Kobayashi must've seen that in the war. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because world war two had the, um, the pilots that would commit. Yeah. Kamikaze pilots. Kamikaze. Yeah. It's again, steeped in the same tradition. That was an honorable like way to go. Yeah, and but really, who created that idea of honor with these kamikazes? It was the elite that were. And they weren't saying, the ones doing the kamikazes. No, no, they <laughs> they were the ones like the counselor in this. At this point, he's thrown out the top knots of the their elite swordsmen. Yeah, and then the counselors like chop them down, and all like that's where like the last battle kind of happens. Mm-hmm wasn't a crazy sword fight what i did find out all of the weapons were completely real and yes sharp. they were yeah so that's I was why i talk about that effects and film yeah yeah but <laughs> it, it's part of the plot really like kind of it has to do with like why the why we don't see like a crazy real battle this was like one of the last films where like you're diving way into the effects of filming i know i know get but, on with this. so um anyways so it's not the best battle scene 
yeah. but he we see him fight his way through all these retainers. He like chops down a few and injures quite a few. He I think he killed four and yeah, uh, he killed injured four eight. and injured eight. Yeah, and he works his way towards like deeper into the clan's house, and he gets to where this old samurai. A warrior's armor. Yeah, like the sits. classic samurai armor. Yeah, that which you would see in a battle, which is one of the first scenes we see, like coming into the movie. Yeah, and because like, it's a symbol of their power and, and their honor and the soul of like what it means to be a, a samurai. Yeah. Yes. And so he he grabs it, the founder's armor or yeah. something like that. It means so much. He grabs it, uses it as a shield, and he throws it at them. Yeah, and then he throws it at them, and then they bring in the rifles and shoot like they they start to they're about to shoot him and then he does commit seppuku yeah Yeah. and he does it right he desecrated everything that they felt like was important to them and then he committed seppuku because he was going back to like he was going on to the next life to meet matome and his daughter with the fact he did this to the lie clan as like his gift to them kind of so he yeah. completed his goal. So and... where I thought you were going with all of this <laughs> is that after all of that said and done, the counselor, the yes, main Yes, that's guy, where I was going. <laughs> this is really long-winded to get there. But to like, they haven't seen it yet, or they have seen it, and I'm just redoing it, I guess. But anyways, the counselor... Yeah, so he basically at that point says, okay, the way that this we're going to tell people the official story of this is that... Hanshiro was ill and he died here. He was crazy. The four people who died were also ill and and died. The three, so the swords master had already committed seppuku. Yeah. uh, And the other two, he made them commit seppuku as well. Yeah. Because he said they They should have. Yeah. yeah, They brought dishonor to the here. Like they should be forced to commit seppuku. So they, so they were. He wasn't going to release that the reason those three died was. Yeah. from seppuku it was they were from all going to be from illness as illness well. as well uh, so they're maintaining their illusion of honor yeah and one of so this is the thought that popped into my head during all of the ending of the movie is this is probably the best i don't know visually or or thematically or story-wise the best representation of the winner's right history yes that yes. i've ever seen in a movie or in like a book or any sort of medium it blew my mind when it happened because i was like it was so realistic but it was just like it was so callous and so like yeah like the way that they did it they were like he, he like he was like like he yeah. brought honor to himself but nobody's ever gonna know about it yeah exactly if these people were following their own code mm-hmm. the counselor should have committed seppuku and anybody else in the top like leadership who decided that what they did to matome was what they were going to do they should have all committed seppuku and yeah of course they're not going to and even like the counselor is like like you idiot to like one of the people like one of his um attendants Mm -hmm. his uh skriva that's what they're called (laughs) and um so he's like like no you're an idiot we can't tell people that Hanshiro did this and caused the um the other three like top samurai to have to commit seppuku. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just continuing the illusion that Hanshiro fought so hard and did so well at like dissolving. Yeah. 
Exactly. And what's interesting is I didn't notice this at the end, but one of the attendants actually picks up the piece of hair and I puts saw it in that. the bucket yeah. and sneaks it away. Yeah, so I that, saw that. So the, the story will live on, yeah. um, which is the only silver lining to the ending yeah. of this film. And the fact that Hanshiro, he brings honor to back to his family like yeah. in his way like he's the one he's the only one there who actually is committed to the samurai code yeah and he he dies knowing that he's going to see the rest of his family because he has nothing left yeah. in like this world yeah and it was so nice to also see like what happened to like matome and why it led him to do what he did yeah because that that lends so much more too because he was sick or sorry his his son was sick kingo kingo and his wife was sick. His son was in a coma with like um, the heat. He they he had already sold his sword before to try and help his wife, and then his son got sick, and he he no longer had anything to bring his son to a doctor with. Yeah. So this was his last chance was to try to get something out of the Lai clan. Yeah. Um, and instead they had him commit seppuku. And that's yeah. why, and that's also part of the reason why Hinshiro is so upset is because he said, you know, he said he was gonna, he would have to go for a day or two. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, yeah, maybe you didn't know him, but he's a samurai and he would have lived up to that. Like he yeah. would have come back. Yeah. He just like, he just had to return to us and explain what was going to happen, yeah. like what he did and, and like his mistake. And like he, he would have been honorable and instead you didn't even ask him. You yeah. didn't even ask him why yeah. he like why he wanted and this extra they wouldn't have believed him. Yeah. The, the amount of arrogance and like self-righteousness that the counselor showed. Mm-hmm. So this meeting between the counselor and Hanshiro, the two actors themselves had a little ba- uh, battle between each other. I don't know if you read this. Oh, really? On, on their acting style. Yes, I did read that. Yeah, so each of them, based on their history and acting styles, thought that they should either speak like in a lower tone or a higher tone, like louder softness. Louder and quieter. Yeah, yeah, louder and quieter. And so they stopped filming for three days and because um, Kobayashi was like, you have to figure this out. Yeah. Like, pick one or we're not going to film. And yeah. then it took three days for them. So I, I wonder who won, do you know? Uh, I think they met in the middle. I think yeah. they decided to agree on like a, a certain yeah. range or whatever. But yeah, really interesting that, that like even that the, came into Yeah, play. because those two had like their own little thing. And then yeah. I think like they probably were able to reach into that to use that in their acting against each, like in their characters. Yeah, absolutely. Because both of them are, are kind of playing chess against each other, yeah. like the whole movie, which is kind of yeah. fun to see. Oh. Uh. Like, it's a really great movie. Like, yeah, as, yeah. as we're talking about this, I'm getting more into it again. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, like, right at that level. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move into effects and filming. So, as you said before, they did use real swords during the filming. This was one of the last films that they were actually allowed to do that. That's It's yeah. now illegal to do that in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Because those samurai swords do still exist, but they're much more important. Like, they're much yeah. more preserved now than they were at that point yeah, in time. And that's the reason that we don't see them the seconds of each uh, seppuku chop off the head but mm-hmm. is or like attempt to at least because the um swords were real they couldn't they couldn't get that close they had to actually be like okay this is real i could actually chop off your head if i try to act this out yeah so, yeah yeah so that scene where they cut off Matame's head like you can see the sword the second stop right before yeah. and as they cut it but you yeah. can still see him kind of stop because yeah, like you said, he would have killed him if yeah, he had kept yeah. going through that swing. And um, I think it was Hanshiro who, like, the actor was actually afraid every time they were using the spears mm-hmm. because the spears were real. 
Right. And like we actually, yeah, when we see them like throw them into the doors, Mm -hmm. like they try to hit him, I would be scared. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) In terms of the camera work, like it was, it was really classic, like Japanese camera work. Yeah. And actually I, I zeroed in on this. There's what they used what's called a Dutch angle style of filming with the camera. And that's when they tilt it slightly like like vertically tilt it. Mm. And so it's used to like enhance or pronounce like an unsettling moment or tension faced by a character. And it's done extraordinarily well in this Mm. movie. And it's something that you don't really see a lot in Western films. But like when you do like you're going to think about it now. You you feel that. Yeah. 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 And it it does convey that feeling. It's really interesting how directors are able to. It's unsettling for the mind so then when you see the actor doing something unsettling as well it adds that tension i see yeah it's so it's really cool like like how you can use different camera work to different convey different things i also liked the like quick zoom in like where it yeah, like show a yeah. character and then it like zoom in like yeah that's a that's something else like that i've seen in other japanese films or even like uh quentin tarantino again has borrowed exactly from for other yeah. films that it's it's cool seeing it in a japanese film like this. yeah like because this is kind of where it originated i would assume yeah i think and so also the lighting of the set because it was all black and white all of the shadows were sharp angles mm-hmm. and that adds to like the idea of like honor is very strict Right. And like what they're talking about is black and white to the, at least the counselors live. What the counselors are trying to convey. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. And I think symmetry was used a lot. Yes, it was. It, it really is in Japanese culture. I think like everything is symmetrical basically, but even like where the retainers were sitting and everything and like their actions. Mm-hmm. And you see it, like in that last battle, like everything moving one side or the other at once. And that's where also I was reading about this that there's not a lot of like furniture and stuff in the the Lai clan's castle basically, mm. and that's because for filming wise they wanted to capture that symmetry, that look that they were going for, and that yeah. it was easier to do without having all this extra furniture in in yeah. the rooms. Yeah, there were like a few things that took me out of the film just briefly, mm-hmm. and it was just the fact that like. They were sliding a lot, like they were shuffling along with their feet a lot in that last battle because he's like holding them off and right. he's like just moving. They're all just like s- sliding. Well, it was uh, just like an interesting choice. Yeah, and I think I think that they were actually trying to go for like a more realistic like look here of, of like these all of these samurai is like these people don't want to die. They're a little bit more careful. Yeah, like, there's no yeah. they're not throwing caution wind. Like there's no stupid people charging in like yeah. that you see in a movie and then like you yeah. know you get slashed because the one guy moves the last second yeah. and you don't have time yeah and you see Hanshiro is just so like so beat down by the end of it yeah like he obviously was gonna lose against so many people this yeah. wasn't one of those ones where he just obliterates everyone and just like moves like the wind through everybody yeah um which I think was like a, the optimal choice here like, it was very good Because, yeah, like, he's getting sliced, he's getting, like, hurt. But, again, he is a master, and these people are trained, they've practiced, but they haven't been in one of these real fights, probably. Exactly. And, like, obviously they're scared of him. Yeah. Because throwing those three top knots out onto the ground was just so good. Yeah. And, like, he probably got through to some of those people who were then ordered to chop him down. Oh, absolutely. I was curious while I was watching why we didn't see the full cut of Matomi's head coming off or anything like that. And it, I, it was because of the real swords. 
But yeah, so well, I, I think it also would have been hard to film that. Like, yeah, to fake it well yeah. enough with what they had going yeah, on. Yeah, I think in the, the effects wouldn't have held up. I think that's yeah. part of the reason why this movie itself holds up because we didn't actually we haven't really talked about that at all maybe we'll, i'll leave that till our personal reviews yeah so let's move into score so mm. uh, oh. it's a really great score like and it, it uses a lot of traditional japanese instruments like um, stringed instruments yeah. yeah and it creates this really unsettling ambience throughout yeah. the film it was builds. masterful yeah it was um and so this was made by toru takamitsu uh, one of the most famous Japanese composers ever. Mm. He did over 90 films. He did a lot of Kobayashi's other films as well. So he kind of composed this with Western music in mind, but still using the Japanese instruments. And he also like incorporated like very well-known Japanese folklore songs in there as well. Interesting. And like he was thinking about like little, like there was little things like, I, I can't remember exactly what it was. I watched this interview with Kobayashi, actually, and they were talking about uh, how they composed this. There's like a 15-second shot of something that happened during the film, and Toro wanted to like incorporate music to like make that fe- 15 seconds really pop, but mm. it's also really hard to make a 15-second like piece yeah. of music yeah. uh to fit in there but he like he was so this is how focused the guy was mm. and how like committed he was to making the score of this film great is even those little 15 seconds matter to yeah, him yeah yeah which is really cool the very intro music really set the tone and then another moment that really stuck out to me was when hanshiro was going after the second samamurai to mm-hmm. get his top knot that like walk yes well he was the like hunting him, basically. yeah yeah that that was perfect and maybe i don't know if that was the 15 second th- it was a little bit longer yeah so it was, it, yeah i think he was i don't remember exactly what it was but it was it was cool to hear that like they had put that much thought into yeah. the score and yeah it was so well done i want to do a quick look back at the times before we move into our personal review so this is per this is post-world war ii japan so this is a big time of change in japan's history um and so kobayashi was again he was really interested in pointing out the flaws in japanese culture and and history and specifically a lot of his films explore the ideas of corruptions and the exploitation of the economy and workers and even the denial of of war atrocities from mm. World War II, but also previous battles, and like, and even going back to like the samurai era of Japan. This actually, really interestingly, I'm gonna kind of tie this into legacy as well. Kobayashi was a very influential filmmaker, but he's he isn't as revered as he once was. He's kind of a little bit more faded into obscurity, even though these films are so highly rated. The younger Japanese I was reading online aren't as interested in his filmography as some other famous Japanese people of the same era. Mm, And part of that is because, uh, or maybe because of how he points out the flaws in the culture, which is really interesting. Like you don't see it to the extent and, and the, the presentation that Kobayashi did like this movie is it does it so well like he like I understood like not being somebody who understands Japanese culture I really understood what he was trying to convey yeah and I think that you would be able to reason with why those younger generations don't love his stuff is because they are removed from it's like they're the uh like not trying to say that they're bad people or anything, but they they're removed from those atrocities by so much time 
that they don't understand why there's so much weight to what he was portraying, maybe. maybe. Because everyone that like everyone in the sixties that was watching his stuff would have had experience either through like their own family or themselves with the wars that were going on. Right. And what's really interesting about this movie is you can apply it to a lot of different yeah. scenarios, like outside of the Japanese, like feudal era and the, the Edo era of, of Japan. Like the, a lot of this stuff is kind of timeless ideas and it's yeah, human nature yeah. too, for the people at the top and the people in power to essentially have these rules for me and not for thee and stuff like that. Mm. Like this, the movie also takes a really interesting look at this point in time in, in Japanese history. It's called the Tokugawa Shogunate. Um, so this is politically stable period that, that actually happened uh, in the early 1600s to the late mid to late 1800s, where things were relatively stable by the end of the mid 1800s. When this era ended, the samurai, order was actually more or less abolished because they weren't needed at that point so there's a lot of economic growth at this point as well in japan so this this is a really important time in japanese history and a lot of other films that explore the samurai do actually explore this this kind of era of the end of the samurai more hanshiro's clan was a real clan Mm -hmm. and he uh they they were dissolved he was working for the masonry Fukushima. Yeah, the Fukushima Hiroshima area. Yeah, of yeah. Japan. And the exile did happen because we hear Hanshiro talk about how they were counting bricks or counting rocks to build, like rebuild this castle or something like that. They were, um, they made repairs to Hiroshima Castle without permission, which was prohibited by law. So then the leader of their clan and his son were removed from their domain and given land worth much less in Shinano province somewhere else. Yeah, and so, so that's when him, his boss and his best friend commit seppuku. Yeah. And he's spared that fate, and that's yeah. where Matame, that's actually Matame's father yeah. is his best friend who decides to commit seppuku so that uh, Henshiro doesn't have to go through with this. Yeah. And then he tells Henshiro, like, raise my son. Yeah. And that's and kind of... That's, like, this whole other weight that's added. Yes. Like, we haven't been able to talk about it because there's so much to talk about with this, but... Yeah, there's so yeah. much depth through the characters and the yes. motivations because that's what's important to the film. Yeah. Like, that's what, yeah. part of what conveys the message is... Deep storytelling. Yeah, it's very deep storytelling. And on that note, sequels, prequels, reboots. So this is based on the book Ibn Ronan Key. Uh, I didn't find much information about it. I think it came out relatively, uh, not relatively long before the movie came out. I think it was the early 60s when it was released as well. So it's based on that, I think. And it was actually, the movie itself was remade in 2011 as Harakiri, Death of a Samurai. Uh, which itself has okay reviews. Like, this is, obviously, it's not number 47 of the greatest movies of all yeah, time. Yeah. We would have watched that. It's movie. not 100% on Rotten Tomatoes either, like yeah. this one is. Although, it does have, it has pretty decent reviews. I think it was like a 7.3 or something like that on IMDb. And the general consensus of it is that it feels a little unnecessary, and it's a little bit more graphic than this movie is. I think it goes into Matame's death in a little bit more detail and a little bit more gruesomely showing things. But uh, again, like I think if you want to see this film play out in the way it was intended, I think you should be looking at the original here. Yeah. hundred percent. 
We didn't haven't talked about any quotes. No, we're getting to our our personal reviews and the partner. Okay, okay all, right, all right. So yeah, obviously, yeah. both of our partners did not watch this with us because you and I knew that yeah. neither Annabelle or Jess would have actually enjoyed this. But for me myself, I enjoyed this one quite a bit. I actually I had wrote down, but I don't know if this if I still believe this that it's it's almost like a twelve angry men kind of film where it's it the film itself is about something bigger than the the characters yeah. who are there and presented, and it's almost like using the characters to tell again like you said a story or an analogy or convey a message, um and that and this film does it so well and I I really like the poeticism to the dialogue. And that even you pick it up like when as we talk about the quotes, you're gonna you're gonna hear like like they just they sound so poetic. Yeah, yeah, and it makes sense because like the Edo period was like poems in Japan were very important, mm-hmm. and um because they've been going back for so long, that was like one of the ways to pass things on. So like this whole movie feels like a poem. Yeah, and like the characters in it, the way the storytelling is, yeah. What were your feelings? I loved it. I wish I watched it all in one. I probably will at, again at some point. Yep. But for me, that doesn't change anything, I don't think. Like, I can watch something broken up and still, like, put it together. So, like, I really liked it. Out of any foreign film that I've watched, that's, like, at the top, I think. At this point, I still have a lot more to explore. But I think this is definitely, like, a great way to get into foreign films and samurai films. Like, this is, like, the... Suggest because the anyone... dialogue is so sharp and the yeah. way like it, even when you're reading it like and i think that they also converted it into english very well because yeah, not yeah, everybody yeah. is able to do that yeah not everybody's and, able to do that yeah and like the language differences and everything yeah because but... sometimes like analogies or something like that doesn't always make sense to english yeah, audiences but yeah. i was i was really captivated by... the, like nothing's lost in translation no not at all and so i think that's why it would stand up to western audiences in that regard whereas some other films might and like the level of understanding of humanity mm-hmm. that this film portrays is what really connected with me like it yes. brings it brings it to a whole other level that not many films depict that yeah it is a very human story uh like it's almost like it's i don't a know tragedy yeah really. it's like it's like schindler's list might be up there like this is up there with schindler's list kind of yeah for at least the understanding of the depth of humanity and things like that. It's a different f- film completely. Yeah. But no, I, sh- I understand what you It could you mean, be up though. there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, this was a great film, and I would highly recommend it to film buffs and, and people interested in the samurai Japanese culture. And even seeing, like, historically, like, it's this film stays pretty true to the history of, of Japan. Yeah, yeah. As well, and capturing that, that time piece. So let's talk our, our quotes and our favorite scenes. Uh, so the sword fight at the end is obviously pretty exciting and, and well shot. Like specifically the one-on-one sword fight as well, but also yeah. like the big sword fight where he yeah. takes on everyone. Like you know it's going to it's gonna lead to tragedy. Like you know he's not yeah. getting out of there alive. Yeah. And he said that he too. He repeats like, it, yeah. yeah. And it's not a Hollywood ending. Like it's uh, no. it, like it was a great ending because it felt completely necessary. Like it felt like this is where everything was heading. It didn't gut punch you in the same way because like, that's what he wanted in the end. Like he, he did, he accomplished what he set out to do. I agreed. Like the ending wasn't, the ending was great for like finishing off his story and stuff. It's just, it wasn't the ending that we would be used to as uh, like Western modern audience. Yeah. Yeah. It is a little non-traditional, but that's what makes it so 
impactful. Yeah. Um, and it really drives home that fact that history is not written by, or history is written by the victorious ones. Yeah. And not by the losers. This is a quote that I think sums up like the end because this is the counselor. Mm-hmm. He's like the Ronin from Hiroshima, Hanshiro Tsugomo, committed harikiri. All our own men died of illness. The House of Lai has no retainers who could be felled or wounded by some half-starved Ronin. And yeah, like that just nails it home. Like he re- like he wrote the history. Oh, the the line that is the most poetic and the most it matches the depth and everything is who can fathom the depths of another man's heart. And it was kind of like repeated somewhat by the counselor in a certain way. Like he tried to use it back against him, but then it didn't work because Hanshiro was so legit. Like he was so legit in his depth and understanding. And like the counselor was so like, no, keep the facade up. Like I always want, like he's uncomfortable. Well, he with, has to, to, yeah, he has to stay to. in yeah. power because yeah. he technically should have probably committed seppuku himself after exactly. everything that he's seen and done yeah but he wants to he wants to maintain in power so he writes history in, yeah. in a way that lets him maintain that yeah yeah and then uh hanshiro's uh like description of what happened with his fight with the like the master swordsman he's like swordsmanship untested in battle is like the art of swimming mastered on land. I loved that. Yes. I loved that quote. Yeah. I yeah, I had a good smile when I when I read that. Yeah, because he's he basically explained to them cuz it's like they don't really know or understand like all this fancy swordsmanship that you practice is great, but you don't know all that the sword can do. It can like slice, it can stab, it can also break. And like just the way he broke that swordsman's sword was just like so perfect, and that that windswept uh, battle was amazing. That yeah, that was for me like that was one of the highlight scenes. Yeah. Like cine- cinematography wise, yeah. that was fantastic. It was yeah. so cool. I have a heavy respect for movies where the majority of the movie it takes place in one room mm-hmm. or like one location. Like it's not about Grand Odyssey type stuff, right? Because it simplifies everything, and that's where that amazing act- acting from each of like the main characters comes out. It looked like Matome was actually going the actor had to do it. Like he oh my was, God, it was yeah. so real. Like it his, was you could see it on his face, the fear. Like he's leaving behind his sick son and wife and he can't go tell them. Like yeah. it's all painted so perfectly. And and Hanshiro, like he just he looked like a man who had nothing left to lose. Yeah. Like he like you said earlier, oh, he had that laughing. Oh, his laughing. Yes, his laugh was oh. so like manic. Yeah, yeah, like and it's like so real and like to the It's like the bad the, guy, like a, the yeah, perfect bad guy laugh. Yeah, yeah, because uh, he is the bad guy to these people, yeah. but he's not of the film. Like, yeah. and yeah, like that that changed that when, kind of laugh. That was like one of my highlight favorite parts is when they decide to go off on their own and like have this conversation and he just sits there and laughs and the camera's yeah. like kind of panning out and like everybody's sitting around him yeah like, and he's just laughing yeah. yeah and the use of the camera work in that i really like how and this is actually i think a japanese thing like it they convey things really well with just like sounds like yeah like the o's or like yeah, stuff yeah. like that like, like like there's different levels to different pronunciations of the same word or something like yeah. that or like same sounds or yeah. you're just like oh 
Yeah, like yeah. like when they're when they're uh, debating what to do to Matame. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the guy's like, "Ah, oh, let's just kind of let him like go." And then the other guy's like, "No, like we can't, yeah. like we can't leave. Let him leave because then other Ronin are gonna get the same idea yeah. that they can take from us." Yeah. And that moment when Hanshiro realizes that Matame had sold his sword and yeah. he hadn't even considered it. Yeah. Like he yeah. he couldn't he couldn't part with his own honor even at the cost of his family. Yeah. Because Matame gave up absolutely everything, everything. for yeah. them. And yeah. and maybe That was, was impactful. That was. That was a big moment like and and he realized, you know, like I should like if I had sold these swords like maybe my grandson and my daughter would be alive right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. This movie is so tragic. Like, yeah. uh, like uh, just Mio's fate and and everybody else is just it, it's heartbreaking. This is this is not a happy movie. No, <laughs> it doesn't like leave you with like that heavy sad feeling because he wins in like he wins and he like he breaks through to you as the audience. Yes. What? Yeah. What he was doing. What yeah. he was and trying he to achieve. Was, the hypocrisy that he was pointing out. Like you understood by the end. Like it. Yeah. It wasn't you, obscure. Yeah. Like could it, you, this isn't a film that you have to like really dissect or anything. Yeah. No. It's it's pretty face value, but like it's just conveyed extraordinarily well. Yeah. Could you imagine like watching this when it came out in Japan? It must have been like it was so connected to their like everyday culture. Yeah, those things were still pervasive. It would have been so, like a punch in the gut. Yeah, probably. yeah. Like I can't imagine how that would have felt watching that. Even in Western, like there's not too many movies that are still that impactful from like the like sixties before the sixties. So seeing this in the sixties there would have been crazy. Yeah, and it tells it tells a very unique story, and it, like again, these these ideas are kind of timeless, um, yeah. and can be applied to a lot of different situations, and even stuff going on in today's world. But they're presented in such a well presented way. Here's another quote that I was thinking: like, it sucks that we both watch this alone because. Uh, the greatest delicacies taste of nothing when one dines alone. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, his quote to his daughter when she tried to give him some food. And yeah, like I saw that. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why we do this podcast. Yeah, exactly. To have this conversation now, with each other. Exactly. But also and with share you. it with the world. Yeah. All right. I think that's probably a good spot to wrap her yeah, up. Uh, yeah. This is a good movie. It was a good conversation. As I don't always. know. If, yeah. We haven't narrowed down what our July movies are quite yet. So I'm looking forward to the upcoming month. But. We will figure it out, I guess. Yeah. Thanks for listening.